we're starting Advent. I talked to our, our dream team, uh, this, you know, our heart to do a huddle every Sunday morning at about 9.30 to get ready for the day after worship practice and, and just settle our hearts as a team and focus on, on doing what God has called us to do here. And one of the things that I told them was that Advent isn't something that you have to do. Like this is, uh, there's a lot of traditions. Everybody has traditions, right? If I said, hey, how many of you have a Christmas tradition in your family, right? I mean, everybody does something. You know, even if you don't think it's a tradition, it's maybe something that nobody else does that you do. I was listening to the radio, and the guy says that uh, his wife's family has a tradition. He goes, you know, how many, when you were kids, you woke up super early on, on Christmas morning, right? How many have kids, they woke you up super early? See, we have a rule. Our kids can't come out of their room. <laughs> Y'all laugh. I'm dead serious. They cannot, until they hear the chipmunk song, they cannot come out of their room. So, so, and, and listen, I'm typically awake before them anyways on Christmas morning. And, and so, uh, and so we have a, a record player and I put the, the vinyl on of, uh, uh, the chipmunk singing. And, uh, and so they know to, that's when they can come out. Um, and, and, and the, uh, the guy on the radio goes, I thought, you know, like normal, most people just get up at like six, between six and seven and, and rush out there and like, oh. He said that their his wife's family has a tradition because the, one of her uh, sisters was like an early riser and would wake everybody up at 4.30 in the morning. And so it has continued even as adults. I'm, how many adults have been up till two in the morning rapping something on Christmas morning? Somebody comes up at 4.30 in the morning, they might liable to get hands laid on them Christmas morning, like in the name of Jesus's birth, you're getting laid out. Okay. So we all have traditions. Advent is just another tradition. And here's what I think about tradition. I think traditions are very great, but they cannot dictate your truth. So truth is what the Bible says. Truth is what Jesus's words are. Now, what, what, uh, what traditions can't do is they can't dictate a different version of truth. Well, just because they do this and it changes the truth. No, no, no. Tradition cannot change truth. Truth is truth. Tradition puts an importance on the truth. And that's what Advent is. It's, it's, it's putting the focus and the importance on this season. Uh, typically, or should I say, um, traditionally, Advent started last Sunday, but I was in the middle of a series, so I couldn't start it. So we're going to do it our way. Um, and each candle represents a different theme for each week. And uh, it helps remind you of the real purpose of Christmas. Henry Nguyen s- says this, The Lord is coming always coming. When you have ears to hear and eyes to see, you will recognize him at any moment of your life. Life is Advent. Life is recognizing the coming of the Lord. See, Advent is a way of life. It's, it's, it's recognizing who Jesus is in our life and constantly staying focused on his purpose and his will. The first candle that we'll light is the hope candle. So um, it goes, uh, there's three purple ones and one pink one. And each week we will light a candle. Um, I believe the third week is the, the, the pink week. Um, and so you, you light these candles in a remembrance, almost like communion, right? It's, it's, it, it holds no special power. You don't pray to it. You don't do anything. It's just a remembrance. So we do it to remind ourselves of all that Jesus came for. So this hope candle is also known as the prophet candle. That's kind of its, its themed nickname. 
and we'll dive into why it's called the prophet's candle. So um, why do we do Advent? We do it to observe it. No tradition is greater, uh, is a great, no tradition, no, okay. (laughs) Sometimes I don't even know what I type in here. This is why my notes are what they are. Um, Traditions is a great reminder of all that God has done for centuries through the life of the believer. So if you look at Old Testament, um, you'll read a lot of times where they stack stones up. Call them uh, remembrance stones or memorial stones. And it was a way that when somebody crossed that path that was uh, Jewish, they would see those stones and the stories of what had happened in the past, they'd go, I know why those stones are here. They were there because Joshua defeated a great enemy or Moses uh, uh, sent the Israelites into this. And, And it was a way to remind Israel what had happened before them. And these moments, things like Advent, are a way for us to remember all that God has done before us, generations, centuries, all the great things and all the amazing miracles that God has done in the lives of those that believe in him. But tradition should never dictate our faith walk. I don't have to do Advent. I choose to. The word Advent literally means coming or arrival, right? So we celebrate the arrival of a baby boy who would turn the world upside down, and we live with an expectation of a coming king. See, Advent is, is twofold. So, so there's, there's the idea, there's, there's the, the celebration of a baby boy, Jesus, who came uh, and, and, and lived a lowly life and yet elevated to the king of kings. We celebrate that. But there's a second part of Advent, which is the coming of, the expectation of the second coming of Jesus. And it's not a scary thing. If you know Jesus, it's an exciting thing. Now, do I want it to come tomorrow? My fleshly side says, no, I, I'm kind of enjoying life. But I know that when Jesus takes me, whether, whether the world ends tomorrow or I die tomorrow, it's all the same, right? And so, so I know that whatever my last breath is, it will be the next breath in heaven. And I'll be perfectly whole and healed and, and, and made new, and I'll be in the presence of Jesus. And I expect and I'm excited about that day where there is no more pain and there's no more hurt and there's no more struggle and trials and, and strife. And so we expect the coming king. See, expectation causes preparation. Think, think about it. When I talked about vacations last week, uh, when you go on vacation, there's a excitement, an expe- a preparation, right? You don't just, you know, get in the car and go without a bag. Typically, you got to have something. Unless you're rich, I guess you could just say, well, we'll buy clothes when we get there. <laughs> I don't know. But, but there's that preparation. Do I have everything? When we would go to Disneyland, we'd make sure that we have all of our little things that we normally take to Disneyland with us. And, and, and you know, the pins, because we're pin freaks, and we've got more, more Disney pins than we know what to do with. And, and we trade them and, and all that fun stuff. I've got shadow boxes that I made one Christmas for them. Um, we love Disney pins. Um, because you're always looking and hunting for them. But we make sure there's a preparation weeks in advance of, of getting ready for that trip. And no different with Jesus. As we live our faith life, we're expecting Jesus and God to move, and there is a preparation in our lives to know that Jesus is in our life and to walk in his way and to walk in his will. That's what this season is about. We prepare our hearts, our lives, and our spirits for the coming king. We refocus our lives to be in line with the heart and will of God. That's what this season is about. Where the church goes sideways and where we get it wrong is when tradition becomes more important than truth and the very word and will of God. And you see it in the the Jewish. When when Jesus stepped on the scene, the, the Jewish priests 
we're actually preaching the opinion of an opinion of an opinion of the truth. That's how far away the Jewish priests had gotten from the actual truth of God. There was, you know, the Old Testament uh, scriptures. And what they did was they had, they were reading the opinion of the opinion of the opinion of another priest from back then. And they were trying to tell Jesus that that's how life should be. And the problem is, is with the church is we create all these things and all these traditions and all these, these other things and we go, but this is important. Listen, there's nothing more important than just the simple truth that Jesus loves you. Jesus went to the cross, died for your sins so that you could have a right relationship with God. And there's, there's a whole lot of minor things that we can argue about that mean absolutely nothing when it comes to salvation and when it comes to growing in your faith. And so I, I never want to major on the minors. I always want to focus on the purpose of saving souls and drawing people to God. So before we get started with anything else, I want, I've kind of explained what Avid is. I kind of explained, and we're going to talk about the hope candle. And this will keep it hopefully lit throughout the whole message. So we have hope. You know, there's so much symbolism with the advent beyond the candles. The wreath itself, which is made of various evergreens, signifies continuous life. Evergreens live even in the coldest dead of winter. The circle of the wreath, which has no beginning or end, symbolizes the eternity of God, the immortality of the soul, and the everlasting life we find in Christ. So much symbolism in, in, in the, the strength of our faith and who Jesus was and why he came. So I want to read a couple of scriptures, and then I've just got a few thoughts about hope and the prophecy candle. So John 8, verse 12 says this. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. There is a truth, what I said at work in worship, the enemy wants you to stumble in darkness. The enemy wants to constantly keep you focused on all these other things. Jesus simply says, if you come to me, you will understand that I am the light. I'm the one that can pull you out of, you can't pull yourself out of darkness. But I, as the light, I can go in and shine and I can pull you out of that darkness and into this life that I've, got, I've called you for. Sky and Junior both uh, stated what hope is in the video. It's a, a feeling of expectation, a desire for certain things to happen. It, it's, it's more than a feeling. It's more than uh, being optimistic. It's, it's, I don't have to see it. See, optimism has to see hope. It has to see that something's going to, well, I see it working out. Hope says, even though I don't see it, I trust in the one that holds the key, even if I don't see it right now. Even if everything else looks bad, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing what I know to do. I'm gonna keep search, searching and seeking him. I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep worshiping. I'm gonna keep getting around my people because when I feel discouraged, they're the ones that are gonna lift me up and encourage me. I am the light. 
Isaiah 42, 6 through 7 says this, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. This is uh, God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. It says, I will take you by, by, by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. But, but listen, and this, and this part totally goes to everybody, not just to Isaiah. It says, and you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. Our job is to reflect Jesus. So if he is hope, then we are to reflect that hope. Sky said it in the video. She said, you know, it's on our wall, freedom and purpose. Because we're not just here to do church. We're not just here to make ourselves feel good. We're not just here to have a social club moment. We are literally here to free the captive. To help you see where where the enemy maybe has a, a stronghold and to say, hey, listen, you're not fighting alone. You're not doing life by yourself. When you come here, you're a family, and, and we will run as one, and we will run as a family. And yeah, we may have dysfunctions at times, and we may do things that maybe get on each other's nerves at times. But at the end of the day, our hope and our calling is that we are going to free the slaves, and we are going to bring freedom to a community, and we are going to help shine the light in dark places. Hope creates freedom. To live in his light and to set people free. Jesus, being the light of the world, breathes hope into the life of every believer. But you have to be willing to prepare for it. You have to be willing to to find it. You can't just sit around and go, well, I I want God to do something, but I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to mope and pout. No. (laughs) You sit in the muck and the mire, God's going to be like, well, I guess you can sit there until you're ready to do something. (laughs) Life sucks. Okay, well, at some point, life may suck, but at some point, you have got to start speaking hope over your life because life will always suck if you tell it it's going to suck. That's the thing. I, 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 maybe people say, oh, you're just an optimistic person. Okay, whatever. Maybe it's I just don't want to sit there. I feel it. I get depressed. I get, I get, I get overwhelmed and, and worried and anxious, and, but you know what I'm not going to do is I don't want my life to be known like that. I don't want to sit there. And so I do what I know to do, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't feel it, I go, God, I know that you will get me out of this at some point. Preparation takes time. So this candle of hope has two meanings with the expectation of Christ. To remind us of the hope of Israel had in the coming Messiah and the expectation we have in Jesus' return. So I've got a couple of thoughts on hope and this candle. So I told you, it's called the prophecy candle. So my first, my first thought is this, the prophecy of who Jesus would be. Because we have to understand what the text saw Jesus as in the Old Testament. So many times we forget what the Old, well, ah, the Old Testament's old. No, Jesus said he came to perfect the Old Testament. Meaning that he drew a hard line and said the Old Testament is still truth, but we have to understand the past and understand what their, what their expectation was to really understand the fulfillment of Jesus. And so the, the prophecy candle is, is a remembrance of the prophets, especially Isaiah, who foretold the birth of Christ. It represents the expectation felt and anticipation of the coming Messiah. So let's, I want to read you four scriptures uh, in Isaiah 9, 9, 2 through 6. And this is what Isaiah writes. He says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. 
You will enlarge the nations of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did uh, when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniform bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will fuel, be fuel for the fire. And this is where we get to the point where I think everybody's heard it a thousand times. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, the, the last part, you really need those, those scriptures before it because he says, listen, you're going to be called out of darkness because of who Jesus is. You're going to celebrate warfare and, and, and champion what God has done because of Jesus. Now, here's the promise. That means you're going to go through war. That means you're going to go through stuff. That means you were in darkness at some point before Jesus pulled you out. But Jesus came to be just that, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. There is, a, there is this promise of a coming king awaiting with expectation. Could you imagine all of Israel hearing these words from the prophet and going, yeah, we've been enslaved, we've been beaten down, we've been used and abused, we felt depressed, hurt, uh, anxious, and now we're going to have our turn. Israel was constantly finding themselves pulled away from the, by their own desires from the God that loved them. Isaiah constantly reminds them to wait and have hope. Isaiah 8, 17, he says, I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the, uh, turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my, what? My hope in him. That word hope has a couple different meanings, but the one there is kavah in the Hebrew, and it literally means to wait or have hope, to wait. Now, we don't like to wait. We don't. We sit there, right? Like, I mean, listen, I, I literally, I can't, I put something in the microwave, I stand by the microwave. I don't go do something else. I'm like, how many, a minute in the microwave feels like an eternity. Like a minute everywhere else, it's like, dang, oh, that's only a minute? Like a minute in the microwave, and you're like, seriously, you? Come on, I'm hungry. Like, like we're waiting. It's like, it's, you know, that buzzer. We're like, yes. And then we burn our mouth because we can't wait. <laughs> right? Or if you're like my wife, you, 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 make you make one cup of coffee in the morning and you drink that whole cup of coffee all day as you put it back in the microwave to warm it up. I don't even know how that tastes good. That sounds nasty to me. But, the, but we're not good at waiting. And here Isaiah says, listen, you're going to have to wait. There's a hope that settles in our soul that says, God, I, I will wait for you to do what you have called me in my life. Mothers, I think I've said this before, but if I had it, uh, one of the hardest seasons that you could probably walk through, and I'm speaking just out of my mouth because I'm not a mom, I'm a dad, um, and it is different. And so uh, I know, like, but talking to moms and seeing my own wife, be a mother. Like there's seasons where you feel like, is this like, is this all I'm doing? I wake up, I get the kids ready. I, I seriously just chase them around all day long. And then I put them to bed and I go, there's no time for me. There's no time for, when do I get my time? When do I get my time? Here, here, here's the promise. You're, you're going to get your time and then you're going to wish you could go back. <laughs> I don't know that for sure. Not, it's not going to be right away. <laughs> you may celebrate for a few years. 
Oh, look at moms are being so modest. Listen, one back there knows. She's like, yeah. And she got two of her kids here. She's like, yeah. Woo. Celebrate. It doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means get out of my house. That's all it means. But see, the season that where you feel like you're not doing anything, you're actually in the process of, of putting hope into somebody. In your waiting process, you're giving out. And so as Jesus says, wait, as God says, wait for what I'm going to do, he's, he's, he's teaching you how to become the person that he's called you. He's, he's putting patience in you. He's putting hope in you. He's putting love in you. He's putting grace in you. He's walking you through these seasons. And even though you don't see it, he's working in the underneath for you to see who he is developing. The time between Isaiah's prophetic words in Isaiah 9 and Jesus' birth. Okay, mind you. Isaiah gets up and says, we're going to have a king that's going to defeat the whole world. And they're like, bring it on. Sparta. Right? 700 years later. 700 years. Between the prophetic words of Isaiah and the birth of Jesus, 700 years of waiting for the promise. Generation after generation, hearing the promise, hearing the hope of a coming king, and then defeating it, they didn't even accept Jesus as the king. Like, that's not what we expected. We expected a government official to come in and defeat, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and they're like, that's not our king. 700 years. My question to you is this, will you stay hopeful in the tough seasons? Will you speak hope in your dark times? If you get nothing else out of today, here's what I want you to hear. Keep doing what you know to do when it's tough. When you feel like life is draining, go back to prayer. Go back to his word. Go back to those set of scriptures that maybe you hold on to that, that speak of hope and speak of his love and speak of his promise. Will you stay hopeful in your tough seasons? The, the second thought is this. There's a promise of who Jesus is. So there's, there, there's the pr prophecy of who Jesus would be, but now there's a promise of who Jesus is. John 3, 28. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. This is Jesus speak, or John the Baptist speaking. He says, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. And then John 14, 6, Jesus comes on, on the scene and says this. Jesus told him, speaking to uh, somebody who walked up to him, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Can I tell you this morning that you don't find hope, truth, and life without Jesus? There's nothing. You can search and search and search. You can find fulfillment in things. Like, I think it's so funny when pastors come up and say, there's no joy outside of Jesus. Well, that's not true because I find joy in getting on a motorcycle. I find joy in watching football most of the time. This season, I'm finding a lot of joy. A lot of joy. Eight and three joy. Hopefully nine and three after today. Okay? I have, I have, I find joy in, but here's the thing. I don't find hope in those things. Let, let me give you what I mean. I, I talk about football. I joke about it, right? I used to allow it to determine my emotional feeling that day. 
Some of y'all know. <laughs> Some of y'all know. Some of y'all aren't there yet. It's okay. Listen, it took, it took a while. But you, listen, it used to be when the Cowboys would lose, don't get in my way. I was an upset dude. It was a petty little pity party. <sighs> my wife would say something. I'd be like, <sighs> you know, I just, I, it would just irritate me. And then it's like God told me one day, he's like, do you have stock in this team? No. Do you get a Super Bowl ring when they win a Super Bowl? No. Does Jerry Jones know your name? No. But I do. Mm. Does your wife deserve to be taken out of because your stupid team couldn't win a, a, a game? No. And so now my wife actually made a, a comment of it last, uh, last year because I had so much hope in my team. Last year, I always do, but last year was so good. We were, oh, we were in the playoffs. We lost to the Niners. The Niners, oh. And it got to me. I was so upset at that playoff game because I had so much hope that we were going to win. And my wife even looked at me. She goes, I haven't seen you get upset at a football game in a while. I was like, yeah, I know. This one really got to me. See, the thing is, is that things can bring you joy, but true joy. True life is only found in Jesus. And so many times we try to replace it with other things and, and we try to replace it with other people and we try to replace it with money and we try to, re- and it, it runs out because eventually those things will run out, run dry, or hurt us. He says, I am the only one that is sustainable. So come alive, be born again, don't die. Uh, die to the hurt, the pain, the past that allows the hope of Jesus, the life of Jesus to resurrect and give you new life. And I tell you that Jesus is not about refurbishing an old life. He is about giving you a brand new one. Don't miss the hope in front of you. So many of Israel missed Jesus because they wanted something else. And so many of us, we want something else. Oh man, if I just had this. Listen, I'm guilty of it. How many of us, if I just had this in my life, things would turn around. No, they won't. They really won't. If I just had a little bit more money, you'll spend it. I read an article of a lady that says, I make $330,000 a year. I'm broke and I live paycheck to paycheck. What? Like, I'm having a heart attack for you. How do you make $330,000 a year and live paycheck to paycheck? Because you will spend to the amount that you have if you are not very specific and intentional with your finances. You will. You could be broke and be rich. Just like you can have joy and not have hope. Or I should say this, you could be happy and not have joy. There's a lot of things that we can have, but apart from Jesus, we will not have fulfillment. So stop trying to create and manifest good vibes, good luck, and better days. It is plainly put that true life is only found in Jesus. There's a difference in feeling good, feeling happy, and having peace, joy, hope, and life. I've shared over and over again about the season that, when, when that started this whole process where I had to get a second job. And I told you, listen, I'm very transparent. I freaked the heck out. I moved here with the idea that I was going to, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. You're going to be faithful to me. We're going to start a church. We're going to see Camden change. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, I blame my buddy, Eddie. He's a pastor in Washington because I had this idea. We're going to launch. We're going to launch big. We're going to see Camden change. They've never seen anything like us coming. Wow. It's true. Most of y'all are scared of us, um, especially at first. Californian, get out of here. Not a Californian. 
My wife's a Californian. I'm a hybrid Texan. Um, and so, but we came in and he, he asked me this question. Sitting in our kitchen in California, right after we had a, I had a meeting with my pastor and, and elders at the church. And he said, Scott, if nobody stands behind you and you have 20 people show up to your church, would you still do it? Y'all, one of the most like, uh-oh, real moments was right there in that my kitchen. I was like, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I want to be faithful to Jesus, but why am I doing this? And never did I ever imagine that those words would ever ring so true than the season that we walked through when at times we had 20 people in the room. It had been real easy to pack it up, pack it in, let it begin. <laughs> I'm so cheesy. Sorry, guys. But it would have. It'd have been easy to say, hey guys, high five. Thanks for joining me for the last couple of years. This isn't it. I would have missed the promise of what God is doing if I would have allowed my feelings to dictate my future. If I would have allowed the, what I felt in the moment to dictate the hope of what Jesus is doing right now. The last thing. There's a living hope for believers. I mean, this should make you excited. This should, this should really perk your, your, your heart up to the season. There is a hope for believers. Peter, 1 Peter 1.3 in the Passion Translation says this, Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience what? A living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I told you this last week. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that's the goal, is to, to speak truth and to live it out to where you realize, I am not who I once was. I've been made alive in Christ. And despite what the world may say and despite what the world may look like, I am holding on to an eternal flame of hope that no matter what happens in my life, it's not about the day, it's about what the future holds. And I'm going to keep pressing on in hope that he's going to change my life. Jesus came to earth on purpose for a purpose. And you are that purpose. I want you to just, I mean, just think about that for a minute. Think about your worst day. Think about your worst attitude. Think about when you're at your, like, you, know, you, you even know, like, I don't like me right now. <laughs> Jesus came for that. So that he could turn your life around and give you a purpose that is beyond anything else. And because you are that purpose, he then tells us that we were born on purpose for a purpose. If your life has been changed because of who Jesus is, your job, your purpose is then to go and just share that. And I think so many times we make it so hard, like, I'm not a theologian. I can't break down salvation in a way that everybody's going to just run to him. You don't have to. How many have a story? You have a story. Just share your story. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be perfect. 
It could be, man, you know what? I was angry and I was hurtful and I said mean words and I I cussed like a sailor and this, that, and the other. And you know what? I'm not perfect and every now and then cuss words still fly. But you know what? Jesus has turned my heart around. I'm no longer hateful, no longer angry. I, I find joy in life more than I don't. Just tell your story. So the reality is the Christmas story never ends. It doesn't have a season. Truth be told, I was, I was funny story. I was talking to a pastor this week, and uh, he said we were talking about Christmas uh, services. And I said, "Yeah, we're not doing one Christmas Day. That's to me, that's just crazy." He said, I, "We're going to do it." I said, "God bless you." He goes, "I figure it is Jesus's birth," and I looked at him and I go, "No, it's not, because um, <laughs> it's not. It's not." If any, I mean, listen, I could blow your mind with 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 the thought process that tradition tells us, right? We three kings. There was no three kings. There was no three wise men. There's no scripture that says that. We sing it. Well, we'll tell the story. Every little kid's story has three wise men. For all we know, there was one. I would say there's more than one because it says they. But we don't know if there's ten. We get the tradition because three presents. Gold, frankincense, and burn. So we say, well, three people. Well, why? Because tradition tells us. That's not truth. They didn't come when he was a baby. Jesus was a two-year-old toddler. <laughs> See, we, we, we create these things in our mind that just aren't true. And, and one of them is that, is that we have to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. Y'all, it actually happened in September. <laughs> Based off of the calendar, that's when Jesus was born. We celebrate it because of tradition. And they wanted to overpower a pagan holiday. And so they put Christmas at that time to overpower the pagan holiday. That's it. The reality is we are to celebrate Jesus' birth every day. It is a lifestyle. It's a hope that we live in the eternal flame that I am going to live out. That Jesus came to this earth as a baby boy in humility so that we could have life. It is a belief of the Son of Man choosing to come to earth and live like us and die for our sins so that we could be in relationship with God. To turn our world upside down so that we could go and change the world through him. I'm going to end with two scriptures. Psalms 135 through 8 says this. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. How many, how many of you just need to remind yourself, I'm counting on him? Because you've been trying to count on yourself too long. Can I tell you that weight is not yours? Hear me. Please hear me. Because even as I say this, some of you are trying to articulate why you have to live a certain way and everybody counts on you. No, 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 lies. You are to count on him. You were never meant to carry the world's burdens. You weren't meant to carry everybody else's. Yes, in our human form, there are things that we have to go through and we have to be strong in, but you are not the savior of the world. You're not even the savior of your family. And the enemy will get you weighed down with trying to carry things that you were never meant. And that's why the psalmist says, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. 
But with the Lord, there's unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel for every kind of sin. That's what hope does. Anna, you can come. That's what hope does. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I don't have to like it, but Jesus came for everybody and every sin. Every murderer, every rapist, every person who gossip and lies, every person who on the outside tries to make it look like they've got it all together, but on the inside, they're torn apart. Every person. God is not a respecter of people. He's God. So the things that we don't like don't necessarily bother him because sin is sin to him. And though the world may try to put labels on you like, ah, you're worse than him. This is what the world does. God says, sinner, sinner, if you want to know me, let's go. Saved by grace. Now you're a saint. We use that word like it's something special, like Saint Deanne. The Bible calls us saints because we choose to follow after Jesus. That's it. Saint, sanctification, is is a turning from our own desire to the desire of Jesus. Paul would write, to the saints of Ephesus, to the saints of Corinthians. A, it kind of sounds a little better than the sinners of. (laughs) He's saying, listen, you're trying. You're moving in the right direction. You're choosing Jesus. Let's keep going there. See, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It doesn't have anything. You can't save people. You can't even save yourself. So I got to count on him because his redeeming and his redemption overflows and he's going to save from all sorts of sin. And that's hope. One of my favorite scriptures in Acts says, Acts 17, 6 says, when they couldn't find them, they were talking about Paul and some of the other disciples says, they took Jason instead. Could you imagine being Jason? Like you just didn't get out of there fast enough? You weren't even looking for Jason. They just found a man. They went in looking for some disciples and couldn't find him. So they said, we'll take Jason. Jason's going, what? along with some other brothers in his house church and dragged them before the city council. Along the way, they screamed out, those troublemakers who have turned the world upside down have come here to our city. I love that scripture. God calls you to be a troublemaker. I love that. Y'all, if there's anything that could define my spiritual walk, I want to be a hope troublemaker. I want people to look at my life and go, oh God, here he goes again. Passing out that hope. I know that I'm one of the few people in the police department that looks at Camden and goes, hope. And that's not a knock on them. It's just when you've lived in that world that long, you, 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 you deal with the, the, the tough people of, of Camden, you, you start to go, there's, there's really no hope. Part of my prayer is to protect my mind and my spirit from that and really all the other officers because here's the deal. It's like, listen, I see the, the hurt. I see the pain, but I also see the hope. 
I look out today and I see hope. And if you're sitting there and you're overwhelmed with life, hear me, God speaks hope over your life. He speaks it. The question is, will you receive it and will you walk in it? Will you walk in, the, in, a, in a position that says, I'm not going to allow the enemy to continue to keep me down. I'm not going to allow my past to continue to name me. You once were, so you always will be. No. I'm a child of God. I've been chosen and redeemed and forgiven. And my past is my past, and now I've got a, I've got a chance to live out a future of hope. As I wait for the coming king, that's our job. That's our hope. To live joyous, not naive. I think sometimes we think joy and we think naive. No, not naive. But joy over, can overwhelm the hurt. Forgiveness allows you to move on. The Bible says, forgive as God has forgiven. Some of you, you've hold on to things because you're, man, it's, it's what you know now. God says, listen, did I give you barriers, Rodney? Did, did God give you barriers to have to jump through to, to seek forgiveness? No, it was simple. God, forgive me. He said, okay, walk with me. Now he says, listen, give other people that grace. It's amazing when we start to live out the truths of the Bible, how much freeing it is in our life. Will you pray with me? As we, as we settle our hearts on hope this week, thankful for the hope of a, of a baby boy born in a manger who would live, go to the cross, and die for our sins as our Savior. Hope for a coming King will walk us into eternity one day. But in the in-between time, the hope that we will continue to seek after him, that we will allow that hope to guide and lead us and give us the truth and the love and the faith to walk the way that God would want us to. And I'm just wondering, all eyes are bowed, I just wonder if there's anybody in here that would say, I need that hope. I've allowed the world and the, and the lies of the enemy to overwhelm me. I've allowed life to weigh me down. And pastor, will you pray for me? I just need hope today. That's you. I just want to pray for you. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Why? Because the enemy wants to, if he can steal your hope, he can steal your hope. Hope is the most vital thing we have in our faith. And so, God, I pray for those that, that raise their hand and maybe even those that just said in their spirit, yep, that's me. God, I pray that as I talked about in worship and as I talked about in this message that they would do, there would be their part of it, which is to seek you. Even if they don't feel it. Even if they feel weighed down and heavy burdened and, and, and overwhelmed and anxious, that, God, they would not fill it with the void of, of just mind-numbing stuff relationships or TV or money or anything else. They wouldn't just check out, but they would check in for redemption. 
I may not get my answer today, but I'm going to wait with expectation and I'm going to seek his face every morning and I'm going to seek his face every day. And when that overwhelming feeling of hopelessness sets in or when that anger sits in or when that, when that lie of the enemy says you'll never be sets in, I'm going to speak to it. I'm going to allow my voice to rise up and say, no, I am a child of God who has hope inside of me and I'm going to live in that. I will speak to the lies of the enemy, the truth of my God. I speak hope. As we go through this season, it would become a lifestyle. I wonder if there's anybody here that has said, you know, I've never made a decision to actually follow Jesus. I've gone to church, I've heard of him, I've this and that, but I've never made that decision to say, I choose you, Jesus. Maybe you have, and maybe you've walked away and you're saying, I need to just say, you know what, I need to get back on track. If either one of those is you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. God sees those hands. You know, it's real simple. It's it's just saying, okay, God, let's go. He forgives you. Like that, he forgives you. Throws all of your sin from the east to the west. No longer to be remembered by him. It's just you and your heart. The Bible says in Romans uh, uh, 10, 9 and 10, that it is a belief in our heart that we speak through our mouth that we will choose to follow Jesus because he died on the cross. That's it. And then we start to do it. Get up every day, read our Bible a little bit, pray a little bit, focus in on him, live our life with the intention of Jesus. So God, I pray for every person that raised their hand for salvation, for rededication, for hope, that God, that you would speak into their life and that they would start to move in your will. We thank you, Jesus. I pray for those that give financially to the church. I, I thank you for their, their commitment to tithe and offering that we would be able to continue to reach this community through life-giving moments. We bless those that, that, that are obedient to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 